Psalm chapter 1. This is God's word. Good, beautiful, and true. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, but the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that in it you show us who you are and who we are in you. So I pray as we take these moments to hear you speak in your word, as we stare into the treasures of your word, that you would show us yourself, that you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hearts would be set on him and changed to be like him. We pray all this in his name. Amen. What do you want? What do you want? If you read through the Gospel of John, which we just finished last week, the very first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of John is to two followers who, is, who have just started following after him. It's the very beginning of his ministry. And the, he, he, what I picture is he's walking along, and he turns around, and there's two guys walking behind him. He turns to them, and he says, What do you want? What do you want? It's him hitting them at the very core of who they are, their desires. What do they want? What do you want? What do you want? I think we could answer that question in lots of different ways, but it boils down in one way or another. We want to be happy. We want to be happy. And if that's your answer, don't be ashamed. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. God is the God of joy. He made us in His image to be people as creatures who live and thrive within His joy. We were made, in a sense, to be happy, without worry, without needing anything. We were made to be at rest, not toiling away to try to earn who we are or anything like that. Now, you may wonder why I'm bringing happiness up. We just read this psalm, and the word happy isn't in it at all, right? Well, actually, no. That word blessed, that word blessed can be rightly translated happy. To be blessed, in a sense, is to be happy. Now, there's more to be said, and I'm going to say it, <laughs> um, but it's worth saying here on the front end, God cares about your happiness. God is invested in your happiness. Now, don't hear me wrongly. To say that God cares about your happiness, it's not a blank check. It's not, uh, here's your best life now. God wants you to have the biggest house and the nicest car. And God cares about you having all the things that are going to make you happy. Um, one of the things I love about Scripture and God's encounter with us in Scripture is that God often takes words that we use and He rightly defines them for us. To put it a different way, part of the pathway of following after Jesus is entrusting our dictionaries to Him. Letting Him define words for us. Letting Him shape the way we think and the way we speak the things that we want. So that's what I want to do this morning. 
I want to look at Psalm 1, use this as the lens to think about happiness, what it means to chase after happiness, not just pleasure, not momentary moments of like, this is great, but true happiness that lasts. And I'm going to kind of make a couple of different points this morning. The first one's this, trying to have it all will only lose your soul. Trying to have it all will only lose your soul. I bet if you go out in Dunn, North Carolina, and you take a poll of people, there's going to kind of be, you know, what is a happy person? Describe a happy person to me. You're going to get one of two answers. Um, this is kind of sweeping generalization. But you're either going to get the have it all or you're going to get the holy man. The have it all or the holy man. And I'm going to touch on the have it all first. The have it all is when we define happiness as getting what we want. We think the truly happy person is the person who gets everything they want. Now, the extreme of this is when we picture happiness as the man who, you know, gets the big house and he's got the boat, he's got the trophy wife, he's the most successful person at his job, um, money-wise, he's got the endless bank account. This man has strength and power. He answers to nobody. When he sees something he wants, he goes and he gets it. There's no barrier standing in the way of his desires, no matter what it might cost somebody else. If you're a Back to the Future fan, this is Biff Tannen in the second movie. He's gotten everything he wants, and it's just dystopian future. Um, but Scripture does not call this kind of person happy. Scripture does not call the person the have-it-all. The person who sees something they want and go get it no matter the cost. He, scripture does not call that person happy. He uses a much darker term. It calls that person wicked. It calls that person a sinner. It calls that person a mocker. Now that may seem drastic, especially because we live in America, the place where we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, the place, the place where opportunities in front of us and we just have to walk through the door and we work hard and we, get, we earn what we get. It may seem hard because when we start thinking about happiness, our hero or who we would want to be if we thought we were happy would be the have-it-all. But Scripture tells us that people who chase after having it all, and this is why it uses the term wicked, will inevitably come up to a point when what they want and the good of somebody else collide, collide, and what that person, the have-it-all, will do is going to choose what they want, no matter what it means for somebody else. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, that word wicked, it almost is a technical term. It describes somebody who takes advantage of people, specifically vulnerable people. It'll describe the wicked person as laying traps or snares for the poor to walk in. It'll describe the wicked person as somebody who is, is eat up with greed and is trying to manipulate situations to, to kind of milk every bit of wealth out of whoever is around them. It's almost, like I said, a technical term. They're sinners. They're, they, they, they pursue a way of life that disregards God and disregards others. They're mockers. They can only sit back and look at other people with derision and ridicule and contempt. Notice that this psalm talks about this. The person who is happy is the person who does not walk in the pathway of the wicked, who does not stand in the way that sinners stand, who does not sit in the seat of mockers, 
And notice that it doesn't just list these terms as categories. It almost describes it like a progression. The idea is that the person who's walking in this pathway of wickedness, using other people to try to have it all, they'll inevitably be ground to a halt. And they will be stuck, stuck in sin, alone, empty, and lost. It's a progressing darkness that leads to a dead end. It's exactly what Jesus spoke about in the Gospels when he said, What good will it do for someone to gain the entire world but lose their soul? Friends, pursuing all the desires of our hearts, trying to live this picture of happiness, of having it all, it may work for a time. We may get the car we want. We may build the house we want, that dream house. We may have... Uh, we may get the two extra zeros in the bank account and feel like we've made it, right? But do you know cars break down? Houses fall apart. Bank accounts empty out. And then what? I mean, how many stories do we know of incredibly successful men and women or people we would say were successful that get to their deathbed, the end of their life, and they are eat up with regret because they sacrificed their family on the altar of so-called success. They sacrificed their family and their friends and even their own lives on this altar of happiness as having everything you want. And even if the bank account doesn't empty out, it's never enough. When we define our worth by what we have, which we actually just sang about not too long ago, when that's our idea of happiness, to have it all, and defining our worth by on what we have, it'll never be enough. There's a famous story, uh, J.D. Rockefeller, who at the time was the richest man in the world, the first billionaire in America. In fact, he as a person owned 2% of the country's wealth, just as one guy. He was asked by a reporter one day, he was incredibly successful. I mean, everything he touched turned to gold. Um, he was asked by a reporter one day, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he answered, a little more. A little more. He had more money than he could spend in a hundred lifetimes. How much is enough? A little more. It would never be enough. And this psalm tells us as much. Look at verse 4, when it describes the wicked as what? Chaff. Chaff. Now, I've never threshed grain or done any of that, but my understanding, based on my reading, no, uh, chaff is the outer husk. If you're getting weed up and grain and you're planning to harvest it, you have to take it up, and on the outside of all the grain is what? A husk. It has, the husk has to be removed. It's inedible. And so that's part of the process. That's what threshing grain is. It's separating the wheat from the husk, from the chaff. What this psalm is telling us is the ones that pursue this vision of happiness, of getting what I want no matter what it costs somebody else, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Because when the chaff and the wheat are separated out, when it's separated, the chaff is weightless, has no substance. The very wind can just drive it away. It's inedible to humans. Trying to chase happiness by having it all will leave us empty and loss, or in the words of verse 6, it will lead us to destruction. It's all it can do. Defining happiness as having it all, as uh, finding our worth in what we own. There may be moments of pleasure, but it leads to destruction. So that's the first section. Um, you know, trying to have it all will only lose your soul. 
Well, there's another uh, point that's worth being made. is trying to earn God's love will only wear you out. Trying to earn God's love will only wear you out. So it's probably easy for you to hear me describe the have it all, and you say, no, that's not, that's not good. I know that's not good. That's not good to, to define happiness by what you own. And so we'll run to the other side of the spectrum. And this is kind of where I think most uh, um, folks that either grow up in church or have some kind of, uh, they're seeped in a um, southern church culture. We'll run here. We'll call holiness, I mean, we'll call happiness the holy man. The holy man. This is when we picture happiness as the man who is rigorous in staying on the straight and narrow. He's happy because he does everything right. He's happy because he doesn't drink, smoke, or cuss, or go with girls that do. You know the, the, the saying, right? That's why he's happy. He's good. He's a moral man. He's who God loves best because he is good. He does the right things. Now, Jesus talked about this man in Luke chapter 19. We read it in our call to worship, but I'm going to read it again because it's worth hearing again. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, the holy man, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. This is what I mean by the holy man. He feels confident in his own righteousness. If you ask the holy man, or we think of this picture, why uh, would we think that they're happy? They'll tell you, well, I've never been strung out on drugs. I've never had an affair. I, you know, I don't cheat at work. They're going to start listing, what, a resume. They're going to be giving you a resume as to why they deserve to be happy. They're going to start listing things that they have done to define to you why they are happy and why they deserve to be happy. Because he's done all the right things. He deserves happiness because he's owed it. Now, I think, like I said, this is probably a big danger for folks who grew up in church. Because if you grow up in church, it's, it's not uncommon that you learn, <laughs> I, I'm going to sound very jaded here, but you learn the game. You learn uh, to not have sins that are very public. You learn to uh, hide, basically. You learn to hide. And you say, I haven't done any of those big sins. I haven't blown my life up. In other words, you've tried to manufacture happiness and define yourself in comparison to somebody else. It's not defining happiness and your worth in what you own, but it is defining happiness and worth in what you've done, what you've earned in the sight of God and everybody else. And the thinking here is really, if I can just be good enough, then God will love me. If I can just be good enough, God will love me and I'll be happy. What the holy man gets wrong in his thinking, and holiness is a good thing. Let me just say that as an aside because I'm kind of deriding the, the, the term here. But what the holy man way of thinking and living gets wrong is the idea that God in some way is waiting for us to prove ourselves to him. That he is waiting on high and he's watching and he wants us to bring our resume to him. And we hand it to him and he says, oh, this is impressive. Look where you went to school. 
Look at your extracurriculars. You're hired. Come on into heaven. You deserve it. But that will only wear us out. Because if we think God is waiting for us to prove ourselves to Him, or that God's love is dependent on us doing something to get it, we will burn ourselves to a crisp. Trying to earn God's love will only wear us out. Now, the holy man and the have-it-all. That's what I've talked about. These are the kind of caricatures, uh, the, 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 the poles of the spectrum here. And they may seem very different, right? That one is defining their worth in what they have. One is defining their worth in what they've earned. But they're really just two sides of the same coin. They are two sides of the same coin. Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2 and the Holy Man are two sides of the same coin. They are both trying to find it within their own power and strength to make themselves whole. They are both trying to find it within themselves to bring themselves contentment. They are trying to work to be a person who is admired. Now, I've heard people say, you know, at our base, we all want to be admired. Um, we all want to be admired, but that's not true. We want to be loved. We want to be loved. Being admired is a cheap alternative to being seen and known and loved. We want to be loved because that is what we were made to be. That is what true happiness is. Happiness isn't working hard to have it all. Happiness is not working hard to be the perfect person. Happiness is finding a love that you did not earn and cannot lose. And that love being the very root of who you are. That is true happiness. Not something you earn or gain. It's something that is given to you as a gift. And that brings me to my last section. Happiness is being a tree. Happiness is being a tree. The psalm uses an image of a tree planted by streams of water as what it means to be blessed, to be happy. And what does that teach us? Well, a couple of things. The first one's this. A tree doesn't make itself grow. A tree does not make itself grow. This is exactly why the psalm speaks of a happy person, the blessed person, as a tree. Because the happy person is someone whose source of happiness is outside themselves. It is outside themselves. It's not in their ability. It's not in their strength. It's not in their resume. The source of their happiness, joy, nourishment, and growth is outside themselves. You plant, get an acorn from the biggest tree you've ever seen, the most healthy tree you've ever seen, and you take it into the desert, and no matter how strong that tree that the acorn came from is, it will not grow. It will not grow. It must be planted somewhere that can sustain it. A tree cannot make itself grow. The same is true as us. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how determined you think you are, no matter how well-meaning, no matter your resume, you simply cannot make yourself happy. You can't do it. You cannot make yourself righteous. You cannot make yourself grow. Because you were made, and I was made, to find my happiness, to find my growth in a different source entirely. So a tree doesn't make itself grow. Well, the second thing, a tree can be sustained, grow, and thrive if it's planted by a source of water. 
if it has a place of nourishment that it continue, can continue to draw on over and over, when those roots are sunk deep. This is what Jesus is talking about when he continues that parable. He talked about the Pharisee, the holy man, who was confident in his own righteousness, but then he continues on. But the tax collector, and this time derided, hated because of his job and his position. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is, what I, this is where we get back to what I spoke about at the beginning, letting Scripture define happiness for us. The desire for us to be happy is a desire to be whole. It's a desire to be at rest. And true happiness, true contentment, true joy is opening our ears to hear God pronounce His love on us. True happiness is being able to come back to this time and time again as the very water that makes us live to hear that God accepts us and He loves us, not because we've earned it. And to love, to hear this, that's the root of happiness. That isn't happiness that ebbs and flows on the fickleness of circumstances or how new your car is or how well built your house is. That is happiness as a source that cannot run out. The very root of who you are of who we are, the very root of everything is what is pronounced on us, given to us by God. Did you know that the most important thing about you has already been taken care of? The most important thing about anybody in this room has already been taken care of. It's already been handled. You don't have to do a single thing to go make it happen. The very bedrock of who you are is already sure. You don't need to keep it up. You don't need to maintain it. You don't need to make it happen. You are good because God's pronounced goodness on you. You are righteous because God has pronounced righteousness on you. And you don't have to do a single thing to make it happen. You just receive it as a gift. You just sink your roots into it like a tree planted beside a stream of water. That brings me to my next point about a tree. A tree never grows beyond needing nourishment. A tree never grows beyond needing nourishment, needing water. I think a lot of us probably have an idea, whether we would say it this way or not, that what we long for is to arrive to a point where we're self-sufficient. Like maybe we need God's grace and forgiveness for things we've done in the past. But my goal, and our goal as Christians, is to get to the place where we need His grace less and less. Where we can stand on our own two feet. And we don't need as much, we'd love if we didn't need as much grace 15 years from now as we do right now. But what Psalm 1 tells us is the blessed person, the highest place that we can imagine is a person in perpetual need. A tree planted Trees don't get up and walk unless it's Lord of the Rings. And those aren't technically trees, they're ents, but that's a whole other, um, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> trees don't get up and move. They're planted. They do not move, right? 
They are in perpetual need. This is exactly what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when he stood up and he said, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the people who know that within themselves they cannot motivate themselves, they cannot bring themselves to life. Happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The kingdom that they did not build, that they are brought into. Happy are the poor in spirit because the poor in spirit realize that they just stand with open hands and they receive the unending love of God given to them that they don't have to hold on to to keep. It's a nourishment, a source of strength and love that never runs out. Like a tree that never matures to a place where it does not need water, that constantly needs nutrition from the outside. We never move on from the grace of God to find a source of nourishment anywhere else. You will need the grace of God 15 years from now as much as you do right now because the love of God for you is meant to be your everything. It's meant to be the place where you sink your roots. It is meant to be the air you breathe, the thing you depend on. So we never get to a place where we're walking around with resumes saying, you forgave me then, but look what I've done since then. The basis of our confidence is always, always, always the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that is pronounced on us, not earned by us. So we have to get rid of this idea that the Christian, the true mature Christian, is one that's risen to a place of not needing grace because that ideal is a lie. And it's a lie that can lead to incredible damage. It's a lie that can lead to hiding. We were made to need. We were made to be dependent on Him. And this is not a weakness. This is our superpower. This is our strength. Because it means that when you blow it, when you mess up big, you're not forgotten. You're not let go of. Because the grace of God that found you wasn't something you earned in the first place. It's not something that you... Uh, have to maintain and keep up to then uh, prove that you deserve it. It's always yours by grace, grace alone. Next thing, good fruit comes from healthy roots. So if we're already righteous by works and by faith, we are already loved. That's taken care of and not something we need to maintain. This is the root. And from that root will grow the fruit of obedience will grow the fruit of us hearing God's voice and following after Him. When we are righteous by faith, it means that we can hear God's commands to us and not worry that they have the power to condemn us or vindicate us. The, God's instructions aren't meant to do that. It's the pathway of wisdom now. The law of God cannot condemn you because you've been justified by faith. And so now we can hear God's commands as what they truly are, wonderful and beautiful things meant to guide us into loving Him and loving others well. Why? Because God's uh, instructions to us, His commands to us, they hold no terror for us. They are no longer the measuring rod whether we are righteous or not. We are righteous by faith. That's taken care of. So now we can walk in wisdom. We can respond to God's love by walking in wisdom, not trying to earn a single thing. The, fi the final thing about a tree, a tree takes time to grow. A tree takes time to grow. 
Sometimes we can get discouraged, or maybe I'm talking to myself here. I get discouraged because it seems like the good fruit that's supposed to grow out of this good root is, is very small or invisible to my eye. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel so slow, I can wonder if the fruit's there at all. But the truth is, is about the only thing in our world that grows quickly is cancer, gossip, fire, and weeds. About the only thing that grows quickly in our world is cancer, gossip, fire, and weeds, and those are all things that destroy. Most of the time, the growth, true growth, meaningful, real growth, is gradual. It's slow. The growth of a mighty sequoia tree or even the growth of like a little crepe myrtle, it takes time. And if you are watching it day by day, you're going to walk out and be frustrated because you're going to say, this looks the same size Wednesday as it did Tuesday. But if that tree's planted by a source of water, it will grow. If a tree's planted by a source of water, it will bear fruit. Slowly, but surely, it will grow. For us, that's the kind of growth that we can mostly expect in our lives. We may have seasons where it feels like we grow by leaps and bounds where it feels like overnight something has blossomed in our heart. And those are great times. They're so wonderful to see that happen. But more often than not, we can expect that slow, gradual, ordinary growth. But if our source of happiness and contentment is the never-ending love of God for us, proven in Christ in His life, death, and resurrection, then that growth will happen. Flourishing will happen. Our leaf will not wither. As I've said, happiness is being a tree. Now, maybe you're here this morning and this sounds too good to be true. And you're thinking like, I get it. Happiness is being a tree, but it's way too late for me. Like, I, I'm way too old to be planting a tree now. Like, your sins are too big. Your history is too bad. Your selfishness is too deep. Maybe you're thinking that if we charted it all out, that you are actually in this First, the wicked, the sinner, the mocker. Well, this is the good news of the gospel. God justifies the ungodly by faith. The gospel tells us that we are far more sinful in ourselves than we can ever imagine. That the more and more we will get to know ourselves, the more and more we're going to find deep crevices of selfishness. And that can be scary, but it also tells us that we are far more loved in Jesus than we can ever dream, and that His grace is greater in every way than our sin. God justifies the ungodly, us, by faith, not by works. He gives us the right to all of this. He gives us the right to dare to pursue flourishing and thriving in Him by grace. What you've done or what you haven't done is not the point. What He has done is, is the most important. So abandon your good deeds and abandon your bad deeds. Abandon your good works and abandon your sin and find in Him all you need. Stop trying to make yourself happy. You can't do it. Stop trying to make yourself happy. Throw everything you have and everything you are on the sure grace of God in Jesus and find a happiness that is more than a feeling of excitement or pleasure. Find rest that is given to you as a gift, worthiness that cannot run out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. 
that you invite us to step out of, uh, of wickedness and sin, and you invite us to step out of false righteousness, self-righteousness, and to come to you with empty hands and open hands, knowing that what we find in you is someone who is ready to give us the gift of inexhaustible grace and love that's been bought for us by Christ, secured for us by Christ, that is given to us as a gift that we did not earn and don't have to maintain. So teach us to rest in this. Teach us, Lord, to sink our roots deeply into this and to, to learn what it means to walk in obedience to you, not in a way that's trying to earn anything, but that is hearing the gospel and loving what we hear and walking in step with that grace. Work within us to transform us. Make us like Jesus. Cause us to grow. Cause us to grow. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.